I'm Stephen Gregory Smith. And I'm June Carter Cash. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> it's, I mean, why don't I just say flew out of my mouth? And I'm Matt Connor. No, let's let's just stop. <laughs> what? It's Halloween, so everyone wants to like be somebody else. What what made that come out? You know, I I literally was just thinking about Loretta Lynn passing away and how lucky we were to see her. And I've always been obsessed with three names, which led me right to Johnny Cash's wife, June Carter Cash. And uh-huh. I just thought I would blurt out, and I'm June Carter Cash. That, um, that would be a mistruth. It's a mistruth. I am not June Carter Cash. No, but you are. I am Matt Connor, and this is... The Connor and Smith, Smith Show! Yes, we... Now, Connor Smith Cash. We are really all over the place in this intro already. Uh, we are going to tell you that we are bringing treats and tricks to season six. six. Ooh. Um, yeah, we're going to do some, some of our most beloved uh, scary movies, and just talking about them... Um, this episode is Jaws. Bum, 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 bum. Half step, half step, half step. Yes, and we also will discuss this, me, Matt, and Ryan. This film, um, maybe the first time Matt has seen it continuously the whole way through. Um, so his hot takes, get ready for those. Um, especially you, Mrs. Kittner. He's looking at you uh, in your veil. Um, and your friend who's not wearing black. At any rate, we'll get there. We're also going to talk to David Benoit, a favorite actor friend of mine. You DC audience people would remember him from Studio Theater's brilliant production of Adding Machine that I was in with him. I believe he also played Sweeney in Sweeney Todd out at Olney a few years ago. So he is known to DC audiences. Jaws is one of his favorite movies, and he recently appeared in Bruce, the musical, which is... The musical about about the making of Jaws. So uh, that is, we're going to talk to him about all of that. Um, So this, I think we're going to need a bigger podcast. This is, there's a lot to jam pack in here. So um, if you did not know, we also have a Patreon page. If you are interested in seeing more behind the scenes stuff with Matthew and myself, Please join, subscribe to that. I'll put the link in the description of this podcast. We sure appreciate your support and help. It, it, it's a lot of fun uh, to connect on a closer level and bring you behind the table. At any rate, um, June Carter Cash and I are going to take a quick break. And hey, we will... I'm related to Johnny Cash for real. Oh my gosh, this is really not the podcast intro I wanted to record. Bum, 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 right, we'll be right back. Bum, 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 bum. In 1985, Tyler was meeting Justin at their favorite arcade, Longshot. Just as Justin was about to confess his love for Tyler, the world changed. Blending elements of 1980s pop culture and LGBTQIA fiction, we journey through this incredible experience that brings them closer together as they fight against the world trying to keep them apart. Listen to Longshot on Anchor FM, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Narragansett Lager. Brought to you from uh, Rhode Island. It is the official beer of the clam. Made on honor, sold on merit. Narragansett since 1890. That 
is probably one of the top 10 recognizable themes from a movie. Yeah, Don't you think so? Top, absolutely. Top three, I'd say. I'm, I'm just throwing it out there, but like, it's so amazing. I'm not, I don't want to jump right into the score of Jaws, but it's so amazing some of the epic journeys that we've taken as humans into movie land and pretend, and the freaking score is brilliant. And when, this, since we're here, we might as well jump to that. When uh, John Williams first played that for Steven Spielberg, he started laughing and thought it was a joke. <laughs> You're kidding me, right? It's just two notes. It's just two notes. Yeah. He's like, no, listen. And is it true, like you were saying, that only with when there is water, it's not nearby. It, I guess. Close. I guess. Yeah. It seems like a lot of the the John Williams score is relegated to the water or near the water. There's a lot. There's not any music when they're on land most of the time. Um, I had a really hard time. We're talking about Jaws, by the way. Yeah, people. if you didn't get it from that theme yeah, song, yeah. yeah. Well, if you don't, if you don't know that theme song, I just hope that you're not even listening. <laughs> right. Or why are you listening? Right. Are, are, are we talking? People may think that this is a uh, a podcast about uh, the Bond villain Jaws. I mean, it's it's you know we got to be clear you know clear it's, on it's that from uh, <laughs> what movie was that? Moon uh, Moonraker Moonraker He was actually in it twice He he came back as the villain twice But anyway American? Uh, The second one was what? uh, Live and Let Die? I think so Or the one before Moonraker I'm not quite sure But yeah Yeah you can Feel free to check us on that I know that that you guys Were kind of like Looking at me like I was nuts He laughed Through the entire first part And it was so annoying It was so annoying It was so annoying I don't remember ever thinking that the scene work not in the water was campy. But there were moments to to me, and I know we can talk about it, there were moments to me that seemed like it was so over the top. And of course, it kind of had to be. People were getting killed by a fish. Mm. But there was... The waffle's done. The fish is done. We're cooking... We're uh, we're fixing some fish. Clams for our Narragansett. (laughs) Um... But I don't know. There was just moments that I thought clearly Ryan had kind of set up the show in three acts. There's a one act, a two act, and a three act. And I think it was during the first act up until Dreyfus came on. Dreyfus came on that I was a little bit kind of like this scene work. And I think it was because there was not any underscoring. Mm. Right. I find the beginning of Jaws to be very Stephen King-esque. Not Steven Spielberg, Stephen King-esque as far as a quirky small town in you know the northeast, uh, and it's setting up all these Amity. Quirky, exactly. It's it's setting up all of these quirky characters and this quirky, which town. of course means friendship, <laughs> as the <laughs> right. mayor will tell you oh, in his God. anchor jacket. I remember watching that during the pandemic when uh, he who shall not be named was president, and realizing that the mayor was was him and 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 jaws was covid yeah yeah and here's some paper towels for you yeah. um the, the the we're gonna cover this in three acts there's three acts of the film you know what i will say by the time i got to the third act i think that's all the footage you really think that jaws is 
It's right. the third act. And so when you when I was watching the first act, I was like, first time seeing I'm it all like, the way through. Yeah, first time for you. Okay. I think the first act for me was kind of like, oh, this is a funny, campy thing, because your imagery of the movie is really only from the ending. The ending. Yeah, well, yeah. and I wonder at that because. No one knew how well this would do. They knew the book was highly successful, so it was greenlit. Like, yeah, this thing is selling like hotcakes. It's getting on the reader best reader list. It was supposed to be a summer beach novel. Is this one of those things where you read the book and like a lot of stuff is left out of the movie? And they're like, 100%. well, the book is so much better. Hundred percent left out because in the cabin scene, Hooper has an affair with Brody's wife in the book. Really? Yep. That's why there's a weird sexual tension. At the dinner scene. Between Hooper. Yeah. Oh, wow. I did not know that. I want to know what happens in the book after they take a toast to their legs and they're playing legsy in the cabin. Oh, we'll get to that. That's because in Act they, 3. They were getting a little loose. Um, we'll get to that. That's the that's an interesting scene. Um, of course, the film starts with a great POV shot uh, through the water. Um and this John Williams theme that we were talking about is introduced. Um, oh, that water shit. Oh, that water shit is like perfect, right? Yeah. Then we're on the beach with a bunch of hippies and it looks cold. I'm just going to say they're around a fire. They're in sweaters. My first gut instinct, I don't care how messed up I was, would not be, let's go swim. But uh, this guy it's comes over. It's supposed to be the summer, though. It's July. I mean, it gets cold on the beach in summer. I get it. it but they're does. in full-on sweaters. They are. You're right. Well, think about it, though. You're when, by the water. When we go out and get really, really burnt in the sun, we're kind of dehydrated, and then we go back out in the evening, and that wind is just going. It's not crazy to have a sweater. or. Now, a, uh, is Amity supposed to be in like Massa- off the coast of Massachusetts? It's New, it's New England, it right? Is, right, New England. Somewhere. I don't know. Is Amity a real place? Why don't you pr- produce yeah, Ryan? Yeah, that's fine. I bet it is. I mean, so Brody was supposed to be a transplant from New York, right? Yes, from New you York. You parked the car in the yard, um, and he was trying to be Boston, I thought. So where is Amity if Amity exists is the question. Anyway, what I was about to say is that um, people didn't know. Like, Dreyfus would do press junkets and, like, trash the film before it got reviewed. Like, everyone thought it was going to be a stinker. Yeah. All right, so I got this. Peter Benchley's novel indicated that Amity Island was a seaside town off of Long Island, New okay. York. Okay, okay. Uh, uh, that was never directly clarified in the movie, but it would make sense that Chief Brody took his family to spend the summer at a New York beach. The confusion about the setting of Jaws has stemmed from the fact that Jaws was filmed on Martha Vineyard, as you guys kept saying it was filmed on Martha's Vineyard. Interesting, so it's not a real place. Well, that makes me feel better. Um, <laughs> because I'm worried about their politics, their local <laughs> politics. Elections count. Um, so, so Chrissy is this girl... This guy comes up to you after like a shared glance and like they have no conversation. Zero, none. They're just like, they're she sharing. Says, Hi, I'm Chrissy. Yeah, they're sharing like, you know, uh, looks across the fire. The look of love. Yeah, yeah. like like two or three times as, as far as it was shot, you know, looking across each at each other. But like, like the easiest first date ever, she's well, like, was, let's go se- swimming. It was the 70s. It was the 70s. It was the 70s. I mean, it was a different time. And all of a sudden she. We have all had an evening where we got to swimming real quick <laughs> sure i've been chrissy a few nights i think yeah so i yeah um but uh then all of a sudden chrissy dives in 
The guy chases. He is a lot more drunk and is having trouble removing his clothes. It's, which is weird because I just told Matt this story about my mom being drunk and how she couldn't get her clothes off. And now every time I watch Jaws, you think when of he that. can't get his clothes I don't, off. I don't ever have a problem taking my clothes off when I'm drunk. I think it's easier. <laughs> I do have trouble getting them back on. It really helps if somebody's there to help you, though. Right. <laughs> um, but this scene with her in the water at moonlight is gorgeous. Oh, it's so beautifully shot. Beautiful. The and, moonlight on the waves. Oh, yeah. I mean, And her leg perfectly disappearing down as she's diving. Oh, yeah. That was very good dance, like water dance. It was very good. So the actress was actually being manipulated and pulled by real guys with a rope harness thing. She actually bought a kind of thing at a local hardware store where she could release herself if she felt uncomfortable because this was she didn't know how this was going to go so unbeknownst to them she looked at the rig went to the hardware store and was like i'm gonna rig this thing so i can get out if i need to oh my god but her screaming was real very much because she was being pulled back and forth underwater by by i guess not stuntmen but um Whoever's job that was to do that on that day. Yeah, um, I mean, crazy. Hey, uh, Steven Spielberg's like, hey guys, uh, we need you to go underwater and pull, pull this girl, pull this girl around. Like, mm -hmm. what a what a weird and great job. But the thing that we set and establish in this first scene that I love is we are not seeing the shark. We know this is a film about a shark. It's called Jaws. What we imagine is happening to Chrissy beneath that water is a hundred times more horrific that we don't know. We don't see a cloud of blood. We don't see anything. We see very violent motion. We see her being pushed into that uh, dinghy. Mm -hmm. um, is that what that's called? No. No, it's a, I can't, it's in the buoy? shallows as a well. A buoy. A buoy, yeah. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Um, but yeah, then, then the well, guy's asleep and doesn't even know that <clears throat> she's being eaten up. Um, right. Yeah, I, I, it's also out of necessity, right? Like, as far as not showing... Yeah, we'll get to that. We'll we'll call it genius for now, <laughs> <laughs> right? But but we're, there was a lot of trouble with the shark. Um, but we wouldn't have seen the shark, I don't think, in the first scene anyway. It's very Hitchcockian in the way that it it doesn't um, it it saves its uh, juice for the end. I think a modern audience also who has never seen this, mm -hmm. not Matt necessarily, but like a, a younger audience, were to see this, they I don't know I don't know the reaction because. We're so used to seeing everything all the time. There's not a lot of suspense and being like, oh, I just want to see the shark. You know what I mean? Like this ADHD, like I don't want, you know, I want everything right now. Well, I think that's the reason I was a little bit giggly. I was on, I did not realize that there was all these, you know, cabana scenes and uh, leading up to the water. I thought that Jaws was probably uh, much more about killing the Moby Dick. Right, well, which it becomes. I think um, this is interesting because Ryan and I were, were talking a little bit earlier about the Blair Witch remake versus the original Blair Witch and and how much I liked, you know, I like the original, but I, how much I really liked the remake because you actually saw something and you saw a witch and you saw... Things in the background. Things in the background moving... And everything, the first time I watched Blair Witch, that I was looking for desperately in the woods. I'm like, there's got to be something, and there's not, which probably made it scarier. 
but this is I thought the remake was scary but we're used to a culture now that I want to see something absolutely well what I want and I'm going to put this out there to anyone who's working in Hollywood I want Jaws to release the rights exclusively to three directors and um I'm not sure that one of them is a director, but I want to see this show directed by Kristen Wiig. <laughs> I want to see the movie then directed by Tim Burton. Oh God, and then I want to see the Tim movie Burton. directed by Rob Marshall. Wow. And just get that diverse palette of ultra scary, super scary, maybe a little funny. My God, just an idea. Therapy. I couldn't imagine. But then the next day you're introduced to to detect. Uh, so Brody, the, is it sheriff or is it? He's chief police. Chief Brody. of police, Brody. Right. I can do anything. I'm chief police. <laughs> right. And I think it's interesting too because you're not from the very beginning. You're like this guy. You know, doesn't seem like he belongs here, and you you he always feels like a fish out of water. Uh. <laughs> but he always does feel like that, and you find out he doesn't like boats, he doesn't like being on the water, and this was all about him coming from the big city of New York to mm -hmm. be safer with... His he, family growing up. He doesn't up. even say one time, he's like, there was no murders here in however many years. Like, you know, this was supposed to be a safe place. We shouldn't have to be dealing We're with We're not going to shut down! Oh, God. Um, and he does get a call that morning, and this kind of... This is a normal morning like any other morning about a missing girl, and you, you kind of get some of that by what he's asking. Um, so then he meets up with this, this the guy who passed out, and he still kind of thinks it's a little humorous that, I guess I passed out. <laughs> and for me, when I saw it this time, I was like, is that the same guy? Because he looks a little different. In the daylight. In the daylight. And I'm like, oh my god. Yeah, because you get the you don't really see him, I guess. But yeah, his hair and everything look completely different. I was like, who is that? Oh, right, he's the guy that. He, yeah, he he looks better at night. <laughs> um, and and then... even when they like reveal the dead body, mm -hmm. it's just an arm with like crabs on it or something. I made a note about this because that has always bothered me. The crabs, the crabs. Uh, first of all, like I am a, a crab zodiac sign. I like crabs. However, you mean, um, you, what kind of crabs do you like? I don't eat them, <laughs> and okay. I don't like them living on me. Right, right, right. But uh, but seeing the crabs as the kind of like uh, the the kind of garbage disposals that they really are on the beach, just all over a human body, just feels so disgusting and so like no one would ever want that to be there. I mean, it's bad enough she was eaten by a shark, now she's being eaten by crabs. You know? <laughs> right, yeah. Wait, if she wasn't going to be eaten by the crabs, she would have been being eaten by something. Yeah, absolutely. It's an ecosystem. It's got to be something, right? Right, and, I, and, and it's also like a reveal, and we'll get to this here in a second, but like when Richard Dreyfuss's reaction, when he, when he comes into the, the movie, you specifically said about his reaction to seeing the body, well, he knew he was going to see a body, right? But you never see anything. And that's, that's really the... That's why he had to do all the work. That's why he had to do all the work. So he's showing Except how Except he see like a mannequin arm kind of looking yeah, thing. Yeah, a little bit. A yeah, little, yeah. little poor But his, his reaction, I think it was Richard Dreyfuss is great um, as far as acting goes. I don't know about as a personal human being or anything. But... His reaction to that, I think, makes the audience feel, "Oh my God, this is really bad. Like yeah. this is this is disgusting." Because we never see her body, 
and we're filling in the dots of what was happening beneath that water again. Again, with the, the back and forth and her screaming. And how right much here. there was not left of her. Yeah, totally. Because if, if you see on that table and the sheets over it, there's like an area that's like two and a half feet. Two and a half feet, yeah, totally. And that's all that's, that's left of That's all that's there, yeah. Um, so uh, the mayor... So maybe Chrissy is still alive. Well, I'm just saying. Halfway. A sequel. Um, so <laughs> the mayor and the townsfolks find Brody on his ferry, which is very like they just appear out of nowhere, like, ah, wear a bunch of suits. Um, that he, They are trying to stop him from closing the beaches. Oh, no, no, no. Okay. So this was actually set up. So he's going out to the ferry, and you see the mayor talking to someone else in the background, and you see them chase after Brody because someone had told them. Oh, this they, is the whole, like... Hey, I have a favor. Can you have a like? Everyone in town has apparently got problems that the sheriff needs to deal with, exactly. and then it's like a great. Which time. again goes into the whole Stephen King thing for me, as far as like setting up this town and these characters of like quirky, everybody knows each other. Well, it, almost Twin Peaks like in a way of these quirky characters that are so concerned. I thinking of the was the guy Log Lady in Twin Peaks. Do you know what I'm talking about? Mm -mm. You guys ever watch that? No. Or like these 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 quirky characters that you know. That this person comes every day and complains about, about the same yeah. exact thing, yeah. probably. You know what I mean? So it, it's it, it's I think it's building this these characters and this feeling of this place. But I will say, as quirky and weird as they are, I feel like I know each and every one of those characters. And that's what I mean. That's what I mean. I have an equivalency in my life of like, oh, that's like a so-and-so. Sure, totally. I wish there had been a watering hole establishment where everyone gathered for drinks and lobster. Okay, I have a question. Were the kids that pretended with the fin in this the next scene we're going to talk about, like, were they punished? Yeah, Ever? they were almost killed. I, I I can't believe they didn't take the shot with the fin I right there. I know they almost got fucking shot mm -hmm. because they wanted to like play a prank. And doesn't that just go into? And Matt had an observation about that fin. Matt was like, "They did not make that fin. That fin looked professionally made." <laughs> Wait, just was, I just thought it was funny because the fin was really good. Yeah, yeah. it wasn't like a, like the two kids that the age they were. Yeah, they, no didn't make, they make that. That looked better than you know the arm. It did look better than the <laughs> arm. Um, uh, so I will just say let's the pause. kids were actually the kids were punished because they haven't I don't think they've been in a movie since yeah oh right of course let's p pause to appreciate the mayor's anchor jacket yes the mayor first of all has I think three jackets yes three jackets he wears them throughout the movie I think maybe the same clothes besides the jacket switches <laughs> maybe not um, but the that anchor jacket is kind of amazing and I kind of wish I had it. Um, Go to Anchor FM if you'd like to do a podcast. Ah, Anchor. <laughs> um, so then we're at the beach. Uh, Alex Kittner asks for ten more minutes in the water from his poor old mom. They are there by themselves, so I don't know if there's a dad in the picture or not. Seems like she's like a... It almost seems like she's an older grandmother who has gotten this kid. That's also later when the mayor talks to like a seeming grandparents and they're their grandkids at the beach which could be the case but I'm like they, that's not their they can't be the parents yeah and especially back then yeah yeah it's like like nowadays I could see someone who is an older person having kids at a later t date but back but then, they straight up look like grandparents exactly yeah. I mean straight up like grandparents totally but we we identify Alex taking his yellow raft we see that establishing shot so, so we know it's his 
We tie him with the raft. Um, and didn't you make a comment about the raft, about it being deflated and coming on the beach, saying, like, and nobody's doing anything? Didn't you say that, Matthew? I did. I, I was confused at what reaction the... I, I think I had more problems in questioning the actual um, script of the movie than the actual filming of the movie. I was confused when they wanted us to react, when was it horrific... And I thought that the scene when the boy got killed was a little underplayed versus other things that had been overplayed. So on that... Um, and, that and maybe I'm clearly wrong. No, no, no. There's no wrong. Uh, that's your perception of how you viewed it. Um, the There's another death before the kid that we have not talked about, and that's the dog. The oh, dog just right. disappears. There's a guy playing fetch on the beach, and I hate when dogs die, or pets die in films. I just hate it. But... Um, He's playing fetch with his stick, fetch with his stick, and then all of a sudden he's calling the name of the dog, and there's no dog, and then you just see the stick floating in the water, and it's like, ooh, the shark's around and feeding. But the dog was not enough. The dog was an appetizer for Alex Kittner. Now, they did cut a horrific, horrific, you can Google it, um, image of the shark massively coming out of the water, and it looks like Alex laying on the raft is about to just go right in his mouth. And they cut it because, again, it was too much shark too soon and also showing a child. And pre-PG-13. Yeah, they ha they had to keep it PG. Yeah, there was no PG-13. There wasn't one at the time. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. And so there was no PG-13, So and that's actually Steven Spielberg was the one who got the PG-13 rating from the MPAA. wonder what controversial movie made them start rating things. Was it because some things started getting so bad? Well, I mean, we live in such a puritanical society. Of course someone's going to have to rate something. When did the rating people... system start, though? I, I don't know. I mean, that's a, a fabulous question And what made ask. it start? What was the film that made I mean, that... don't, don't you think it was like some film was coming out? They're like, okay, we have to do something because this is scandalous. Was it like Bonnie and Clyde? They're or... showing boobies. Yeah. Um... Yeah, that's interesting. Oh, interesting. What? It was founded in 1922 as the Motion Picture Producers and Distributors of America and known as the Motion Picture Association of America from uh, 1945 until 2019. Its original goal was to ensure the viability of the American film industry. In addition, the MPA established guidelines for film content which resulted in creation of the Motion Picture Production Code in 1930. This code, also known as the Hayes Code, was replaced by a voluntary film rating system in 1968. And I remember that there's pre-code films that you can watch that are much more sexual than they could have done during the code. Um, and that's when that all changed, it was around 1930. So again, you know, it's America. So, uh, There's a great shot on the beach uh, with people uh, walking in front of the camera and the perspective keeps changing. We're watching Brody watch the ocean. Oh, um, the, 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 the close-up shot. It keeps getting closer very and Hitchcock. closer. Oh, it's so great. Um, I mean, the editing of, of the film is, I think, one of the best edited films. And there's also a great zoom-in shot, slow zoom-in on Brody. Oh my uh, God. I mean, Steven Spielberg is all about the reaction shot. Like, think about Jurassic Park. Have you seen Jurassic Park, Matt? Like, when... When uh, Sam Neill and Laura Dern are first coming to the park and they're in the in the jeep and they're driving up and you don't see the dinosaur yet, do you know what the scene I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. And they stand up and like he pulls off his glasses. In Jaws, 
I think Brody pulled off his glasses like five times, yeah. which is the exact same movement Sam Neill does in Spielberg's like, I got this great thing. You're going to well, pull your glasses every, off. Every movie from now on, now that I've said this, you will see all of, all of these reaction so- shots of people seeing things that are magnificent or, or awe-inspiring or whatever, and he does it so well, and it makes it's such a thing for the audience, too. It's like, oh, my God. Oh my God, this must be magnificent! And then you see it, and it's like, oh my God, this is great. It, but it helps you prejudge what you're about to exactly, see. Exactly, totally. Um, I always thought it, we can talk about the actress, and we'll get to this. But I always thought it was really kind of heartbreaking when Alex's mom is calling for him, and everyone else has found their parents, and she's still calling. I've always that always that my that heart. lone parent still yeah. yelling out the name Alex. Oh, just always. And then we have the ripped up raft, um, which again, okay, let's go back to that. You didn't like the the fact that the the raft came up onto the shore and there was no reaction to it. And my uh, interpretation of that that shot, you don't see anyone, so that raft is for the viewer only. Well, and it could have been washed up on the beach further down. It doesn't necessarily, it's not necessarily it's being just seen. confirming to it, us. It's confirming that Alex is dead. And I think probably, edit, you know, editor-wise, it was added after you didn't, after they cut the scene with the, with the, the shark, shark actually, actually eating, eating Alex. So you knew he was definitely dead. But that's just speculation. Yeah. There definitely was moments for me, I don't know how the movie wanted me to react until I got in the middle of the film. Well, I, th- I don't think it's making you react anyway. I think it's letting you react the way that you want to in the fact that you reacted to these characters. You thought it was funny. And I think there's multiple. I think it's one of the funniest Steven Spielberg. I think they Spielberg. are funny. I think yeah. it's one of the funniest Steven Spielberg movies outside of, uh, what was the flop? Uh, based on a book, Airplanes, uh, 19... 40, 44? 44, yeah. Outside of an actual comedy, I think it's it's the funniest thing that he's done because Richard Dreyfus and Roy Scheider's characters together have such a great rapport mm-hmm. and, and almost like this comedic timing. Mm-hmm. And then you add Robert Shaw to the mix. It's very funny. It's very funny. We meet Robert Shaw in this next scene at City Council. Uh, this is an interesting thing. Um, everyone, we're talking about closing the beaches, and then the mayor amends for 24 hours. Everyone's blah, 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 closing the beaches, blah, 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 that's a 24 hour, blah, blah. Not one person, as Matt pointed out, was like, well, somebody did die. Like, <laughs> well, yeah, once again, not that I'm anybody, because everybody that's listening to that film owns a beautiful home. <clears throat> but I, I thought to myself, it seems like the entire town agrees with itself, and I, I understand that position, but I wanted to have that one guy be like, um, I don't think that I agree with everyone. I think that the vocal people are the people that you hear, and the people that feel that way, who are like, well, somebody died, are afraid to speak. So you don't hear them say, well, maybe we should so like- the squeaky wheel gets oiled. Right, exactly. So maybe, maybe they're silent, let's say that. I was super attracted to the guy sitting by the uh, chalk drawing of the shark. 
And it <laughs> Robert wasn't, Shaw. And it was not a physical thing. It was an energy thing. Like a masculinity. It was like the Marlboro man had showed up to save the day. And can we ask, and who, I don't know who, who drew that, that shark? Who drew that shark? And he also played a villain in a Bond film. I'm yep, just saying. Just bringing it back. <laughs> and he brings his nails down the chalkboard, which is still like... Oh my God, I, can't, I couldn't... You guys saw. I had to put my fingers in my ears because I cannot listen to that sound. Do you know that original scene was going to be... Quint was going to be at a movie theater in Amity watching Moby Dick and laughing. Laughing to the point where people got disturbed at him and left the theater. And that was like going to be our introduction to Quint. Oh they, my god! They couldn't get the rights to show well, it. Thank fucking god, because yeah. that is a great opening. Yeah. I mean, he drew the shark, right? With a little person. He must have done. There's a little person in it. Like he yeah. drew that shark. He's like, guys, somebody. He's. I guess he's the one. He's the sound of. Uh, he was the what I wanted. I I missed. And that's why you're so attracted. The to The sound him. of reason. Right, because he was like, hey guys. Anyway, he puts it on the table that he will. He will kill this shark. Not for three thousand, but for ten. Yeah. Um, and they're like, "Yeah, we'll take that under advisement. We don't have that money." Um, this is the end of Act One. We have two fishermen out at night on the dock. This is my wife's holiday roast, which is a fucking great scene. I mean, the, the way it's shot, and yes, again, you don't see. You don't see the shark. You see the dock because uh, what's interesting is they intersperse this scene with. Uh, uh, Brody is looking through a book uh, that has pictures of sharks, oh, sharks in it. So and we didn't you say something about the books that made you feel a certain way, Matt? Um, the books, yeah, the books that he's <clears throat> looking about about the sharks themselves. Yeah, <clears throat> I did. I did enjoy that he that they had all those books there and stuff. But it was interesting. At times, I felt like every scene was pressing me. Farther and farther into the deep, mm-hmm. like it was purposely hammering it into me. Like this is a shark. This is a shark. Right. And, and almost in a weird way that a boat does that when you go out. It, it, I don't know. It was weird. It, it slowly, you know. I don't know if you noticed my change, but <clears throat> watching the movie, I was a little bit kind of like, "Oh, this is funny. These people are crazy. What's he wearing?" And then you slowly just kind of drift into that world. And I think it's the books that start that process of like... Well, it's the first time we see a shark. Exactly. Except for the one that drawn on the chalkboard. And then you see the, you know, the, the, the pre-seeing uh, the book, you are like, oh, these people are being attacked by a shark that I haven't seen. You see the shark for the first time. He's looking at the book. You're like, should I worry about a shark? Mm. Like, what, what, what are sharks? Like, right. I, you, you start to think... Like he's thinking. Yeah, it's it's a very. I I I was in love with her. I really liked her. The, Ellen the, Brody. Ellen Brody. Is that who it is? Well, that's the character name. And I thought that she was a uh, Tony Collette. Um, also, in those photos is a photo very uh, foreshadowing of a shark chewing on an oxygen tank. Yes. So we're getting there's a there's a, several parts of. Um, Actually, when you went to the bathroom one time. There was another shot of another of the oxygen tank, and I was like, "Oh, there's another one." We like, we set it up. It's I mean multiple times. Back at the dock, the fishermen are whistling. Shall we gather at the river? Which is kind of funny. <laughs> that um, was funny. The shark pulls the dock off. The dock returns, uh, which is very smart. Like, uh, it, it, you know, again, not showing the shark. These guys make it. We still haven't seen the shark. That's Act One of Jaws. 
Um, and then Richard Dreyfus shows up. Shows up. It's the day of the big fish hunt. Uh, so the Kittner, uh, Mrs. Kittner has offered up a reward for $3,000, I guess, to someone who can kill the shark. Um, and Hooper arrives uh, and is trying to, and meets Brody. Um, we have the scene where Hooper looks at the uh, remains of Chrissy. We've kind of talked about that a little bit. Um, they catch a shark. Just want to let's say this real quick. $3,000 in 1974 is equal to about $16,000 today. Wow. So that's a lot of money, guys. Yeah. Well, and there's a lot of fishermen. And there's a, a boat that has like two poor dogs on the, the bow. And they're cruising along. And I feel so bad for those dogs that are... They're probably like boat dogs and they don't care. But I'm like, how are those dogs on that bow to boat? It's like, pretty common. Isn't and it? such fucking idiots, right? All of the fucking fishermen. Are like, throwing oh, I'm, dynamite. I, yeah, throwing dynamite. I mean, I, I don't know. It's like, it's kind of the, you know, what we all experience in society daily. It's like, really? You offer $3,000 and these motherfuckers are going to go out and they're going to try to kill this shark for the money mm. like without thinking about any safety or anything like that it's like oh it's all about the money anyway sorry go ahead well so they catch a shark it's a tiger shark the bite radius doesn't match and mrs kittner comes in a veil with a friend who has a sporty tie and slaps bro chief brody <laughs> yes you know Found out that a girl got killed here last week. And you knew it. You knew there was a shark out there. You knew it was dangerous. And you let people go swimming anyway. You knew all those things. Still, my boy is dead now. And there's nothing you can do about it. My boy is dead. I wanted you to know that. Cody, um... Let's talk about this, Matt. You didn't like that. <laughs> It's okay. I, I So she's wearing a... I will say, she's wearing a veil. It's not like she came from the viewing or the funeral. Well, the, But you thought that she did because she was wearing that. Well, it's a very, very, very specific choice. And I don't know when it was in Victorian ages and they would do all the things. You have to wear black. You cover up the mirrors. Black armband. You do these things. People walk into the house under a black thing. You cover all the paintings or the pictures of the family. And the mirrors. And, and it felt that, to me, it felt that severe mm -hmm. because she, where was she coming from or is she walking around? I think she heard they caught the shark. That they caught the shark and that the, uh, not sheriff, the, the chief of police knew that someone had been killed a week earlier and that's why she was mad and that's why she told her brother maybe who's the older guy the older with guy her. anyway to, to bring her to definitely again not the father of alex kidner because exactly. he looks like you know yeah uh grandpa even older than her 
It looks like he has a tie that has a print of like the state of Virginia on and, it or something. And you pointed out the blue jacket. It wasn't a black jacket. So maybe that's just his regular attire. This is what I put forth to Matthew as who Mrs. Kittner is in this uh, community. And this is just my speculation. She is that woman who, or man, who has to feel a little bit above everybody in the community and she's always talking about certain things and oh always doting over her son Alex always has to be the center of attention and so she comes dressed in black down to the sheriff to do it or the chief of police in front of everyone and smack him that's because that's what her you know place in society is like she's that important now given her son probably grandson just died by from a shark so i get the whole slapping thing but you mentioned like why wouldn't she just go to his house and say why did you do this and slap him there or if we kept the scene the way it was and not that i'm a writer because clearly everyone in that film has got a nice house um on the beach on the beach if why couldn't they have given her just a little bit of more of a Meryl Street moment where she just read him for filth and we got everything you're saying. Right. No, I hear you. I hear you. Can you I know, offer of a like I heard you were down here, Mr. Dreyfus or Can I offer a third opinion? And this is I've never analyzed this moment in the film more than this. Ever? No, I I'm it never I've always accepted me. it. It never bugged me, yeah. but I will always think in my head not that about her. I never even bothered thinking too hard about the veil because I was like that's just so we know and connect because the woman doesn't have a memorable face or something. She looks like an every woman and we connect. Oh, that's the mother of, I mean, it's a manipulative kind of tool, the veil. And it feels very, who wears veils anymore? I mean, maybe they did in 1975. I don't know, but I, I don't think so, but sure. I, don't, I think they did. I don't think they did in New Hampshire or New England. <laughs> well, I thought it took everything in her power to slap him. And I think she's that kind of person that did that. She was very clumsy about her words after that. And she probably went home and like slept for three days because like she is not that woman in my head. Interesting. And I, I always took it to be like she was at a breaking point because she heard that and thought my son would be alive if you did something. You, you know what this is? In my opinion, lowercase o, this is because the book has much more detail and you get more emotion out of it, and they were doing an honor and an homage to the book that probably creates her in a much more vivid way. I, it's very possible, and I, I think it's wonderful that we take this minor character from a movie that's beloved and still have this conversation. It makes me want to go in and like write a story about Mrs. Kittner. Do you know what I mean? And like, what was her story? Where did she begin? When did when did she lose her husband? Is is she uh, Alex's grandmother? Like, I, I would love to like go in and just tell it from her point of view. And the fact that we're even sitting here talking about a movie that's how old now? Fifty. Fifty years old, almost. Almost. And about this one small character, I think I think it's it's brilliant filmmaking. The way that they dressed her, the way that it happens. I don't think they really went into the thought process of what we're having right now. I, don't, I no. think it was much more of a period thing. It was a small town. This woman was fucking 70 years old, 
and she probably was from a different time where they wore veils and they did the black and she probably had her house and she did and the, the sad black. thing is the actress probably was like 40 but yeah right exactly right well yeah. and people looked again, different and once again then. who was the guy with her mm-hmm. and why was he not why why was he not matching the severity of the seriousness of the moment because if if she was that serious about what how she was feeling she would have looked at her husband Boyfriend, whatever. It was her sassy older gay friend. Yeah, well, he, she would have said, "You're not wearing color. Black. You're not wearing color right, on right. your tie." Are you? uh, okay, so alternative. Oh my god. She she says. Here we are. She calls up her brother and says, "I need to go see the sheriff. I just found out that he knew that somebody died a, a week before." I think before. he drove her. I think he drove her. Right, and he like, "Oh shit! I have to throw something on." Or this is what I already have this, on. Oh right, and then like goes and picks. Because I was down having fabulous clams with the boys down at the bar. All right. Well, good pass. You also had mentioned during the fisherman scene that one of the the actors was a local. So the one guy who's like, "Wait till I get my hands on that shark that tell you what they get some." He has. A run-on sentence and that's an actual local because i mean this crew and and creative team drank at the bars with the locals and he was like i gotta can you just like say something and that's what he did and he captured it and that guy uh was a big friend of the jaws family anyway that night now that we've finished the mrs kittner podcast uh, <laughs> that night well, also we're going to talk about the shark uh, that night, father and son mimic scene, which is very sweet at oh, the dinner such table. A, such a sweet thing. Uh, Hooper arrives with wine, one bottle of let's, bread, one bottle of wine. Let's, let's talk about the kids scene. You, you know the scene we're talking about? Yeah. Didn't that just make your heart burst yeah. with love? And yeah. you really understood what this father was? Well, it's a humanizing moment. So we, it is. Yeah. But I also think, going in, into Spielberg's... I don't know if you saw the documentary that was, I think it was HBO that had the documentary about Spielberg, but he had a very interesting relationship with his father. Um, I think his father left at a young age. So if you see his early films, the father-son relationships in those films are, you know, this one is is wonderful and beautiful. You go to uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Richard Dreyfuss, and there's a scene in the either director's cut or the producer's cut where like there's slamming of doors and there's the kid and the father like arguing. I think all of those things come from Steven Spielberg and what his experience with his father was, especially in his early films. Later on, I think he reconciled with his father and, and you know things kind of changed. But like his early films, he was really, as an artist, navigating his feelings on how his father treated his family. And I think that's, he remembers this uh, I don't remember the child's name, but he comes back in Jaws 4. Um, <laughs> poor kid. <laughs> the poor kid. Peter? Maybe. I don't know. Um, Eventually. Yeah. That he remembers <laughs> at that time in his life, Steven Spielberg, when he was that kid's age, a moment like this with his father. And that's why I think it's so emotional. Well, I wonder if his father liked mega pints of wine like Johnny Depp, because that's <laughs> after Hooper arrives with white and red. Uh, the red is opened, and uh, Brody pours a tall, like... There was, like, a little bit of either, like, liquor or, or whatever he was drinking Something beforehand. Over. And he just poured it right on top of it. Yeah. yeah. He was really, like, And I'm then just... he pours his wife a skosh. 
Yeah, just a little bit. Yeah. yeah. And then and then Ho- Hooper, Hopper, Hooper, Hooper just gets a little Hopper bit. Hopper Stranger well. Things. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, sorry. Um, but the choice was to go with <clears throat> the blood colored absolutely wine. It was. You're totally right. And then yeah. Mrs. Brody says, "He tells me you're in sharks," <laughs> <laughs> which kind of breaks the Tension, the ice yeah. in, a, in, in a little way. Uh, also, and, Hooper's joke of "So, how's your day?" <laughs> yeah, right. And then they decide they're going to go cut open the tiger shark. We get to the shark autopsy, which is I... disgusting. The, their reaction to the smell, yeah, makes me feel it. And the bile that spills out on the oh. deck, but no blood, just bile, which yeah. is interesting. And the 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 you were like a license plate. Like, well, this is comical. This is like a, this was a scene that I was like, this is actually fucking funny. Um, because he, first he throws out a fish head, then an entirely intact fish. I'm like, come on, guys. It's almost and then three... He's like, he came up from the south, and then he throws a southern license plate out. It's like almost three Stooges-esque. <laughs> it's so bad. <laughs> I think that scene we could kind of do a reshoot on. It oh, was it's so funny, though. So not good. So then, after not finding Alex Kittner, thankfully, in that shark, um, they decide to go out on well, a boat at night. Right, and they decide that it's not the... It's not the it's shark. It's not it. Well, there's no Alex. I mean, could you imagine like seeing that and then as the oceanographer saying, oh, let's go find the shark in the middle of the fucking night with a guy that you just found out at his dinner table that he doesn't like the water. And he says, yes, you can. Yes, you can. Yes, you, you can. Will. Yeah. So they go out and then uh, Hooper scuba, scuba dives and they find uh, Ben Gardner's boat half submerged in the water. Hooper dives down, finds a shark tooth. Just as he goes to pick it up. The greatest jump scare. Almost of all time. Of, yes. And it gets me every time. I even said me too. it. Me too. That night. And that, that's, that is a shot that Spielberg agonized over the timing of when the head pops out. And he recut it many times. Did until, you jump? You did yeah. jump. I mean, it's it's perfect timing. And, and why is Ben Gardner's eye out? And I, I mentioned that to you, but it's just it's just a dehumanizing thing that makes it like spookier. Because if that eye was not out, we would be like, is there a guy alive under there? But with his eye out, we <laughs> you're clearly like he's dead. quickly know he's dead. Yeah, um, and, and then you're like, oh, fish ate it. Well, totally. Under the water, somebody just was like, beep. Yeah, that's a good eye. Which yeah. is another horrifying thing, like the crabs on the beach, of like what happens to what's left of you mm-hmm. is you're eaten in some way. Uh, the next day, the mayor has his anchor jacket on again, just saying. Um, and someone painted a fin on the Amity sign. Um, Which I think is funny as hell. It's very funny. But I hope it's not the kids that did the fin earlier. You know, there's a shark club in, in town with the kids. They're all talking about it. <laughs> um, and then there's a false alarm on the beach. Um, except it's, it's those kids with the fin. Um, then, as soon as that's kind of dying down, first time, ding, 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 drink, we see the shark. We see fins, two of them, big, going into the estuary. The pond. Where Michael is. Yes. Michael is in shock. It's Michael. Yeah. That's the, the kid's name. Um, and Michael's not the littlest one. Michael's the one in the, the boat. Oh, okay. So it might be Peter who's the little one. I, I don't know. I'm really bad Is there with not a, a director's cut or an extended cut of Jaws? I don't know. I, I have this memory of this other scene of kids out on a boat that like cuts to them and they get attacked by the shark. But it, maybe you, it's another movie. Are you thinking of Jaws 2? I may be thinking yeah. of Jaws 2. Yeah. A lot of boats. Um 
but the leg comes off of the instructor and that was one of the scenes they battled over about to keep their rating like they could show it for just an establishing second but Spielberg wanted to show it hit the bottom and kind of like contort a little like a bend right and it was too gross uh so we we kept it like it was and we saw that leg and the leg is very disturbing i think the leg holds up well better it's than all the about hand limbs. it's all about yeah. limbs in this movie and the muscle is strained like it was flexing when it got bit off and you see the leg hair which is also kind of gross um so uh michael is in the water the shark passes right by him um Nobody I, dies in that scene, right? Just the instructor. Oh, right, just the instructor. Right, right, right. Um, I, just a side note, Ellen Brody is running along the dock. This is a brilliant acted moment. She's holding her side when she's running, like she yeah, has a stitch. Yeah, like, it's like, oh. Yeah, I love that. I love that. It's just a and subtle thing. And I wonder, if it's, is it an actor thing, or, or did Steven Spielberg say, hey, would you put your hand here like you have a or stitch Or did she do side? 25 takes of it, and right. did she have and a she stitch? And she really was, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then we have the chief looking to the water like it's on you fucked with my son um, th there's a great thing they're at the hospital um, and he's holding the baby let's say it's Peter I don't know if it is I think we're just saying that because Peter Benchley wrote the book but um, the chief says to Ellen hey why don't you take him home and Ellen says to New York mm -hmm. and they have a moment and he says no home here um so there's a moment where she's ready to go like this is hit too close to home and he it's a he could have said yeah let's get out of here and he doesn't he decides to stay and then the mayor has the one probably his one his only human moment my kids are on that beach too. exactly my kids were on that beach too and that's why he signs the ten thousand dollars for quint we go to quint's place we're packing getting ready to go Which and you, you were talking about the boiling of the the jaws of the, of the jaws the shark jaws right they were everywhere right you were like why is he boiling that because he sells that shit because people love bones of sharks isn't that people weird? go to the ocean and buy the craziest shit yeah it's, it's true it's I, insane i used to have a, a pair of shark jaws when we lived together but did you see oh, what was right. on the shelf behind him <laughs> what was that you have to go back oh just tell <laughs> us they just had i mean i don't know if it was on purpose but they had the most random like del not Del Monte, but um, canned food. Canned, canned food. Foods. That was like green beans. And that's <laughs> like what he eats, and right? It's like right above where he's like cooking. He's always food. eating a cracker, <laughs> right? He's always eating one of those crackers. Like when you see him, he's eating a cracker. Um, Chief Brody is hugging his wife. There's no kiss. Well, and also the you was it you or you that mentioned the uh, Ellen Brody coming on to the dock where he is and how she steps around things around. she's very uncomfortable she's there she's very uncomfortable on the water period. because we're establishing this is a man's job and a man's place right yeah and they don't kiss you're right they it's, don't kiss it's a really strange thing but I do love that she says what do I tell the kids and he says tell them I've gone fishing right which brings us to act three the which, hunt we're going to take a quick break my favorite shot yeah as you, the go, jaws. as you go into the third act, you have the jaws on the window and the boat in the distance. Fucking great. I mean, the transition is amazing. All right, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. All right, so we're in act three. And now we get into the part that Matt says you think about when you think about jaws. Mm -hmm. right? We're on the orca. Um, this is the hunt. Uh, we start out chumming around. Um, 
And yet again, this episode is brought to you by Narragansett. Um, they're drinking Narragansett in these Narragansett Retro 1975 limited edition cans that are out right now with Jaws on the box. And Robert Shaw, he drinks that fucking beer in all a, the way down. In one... He totally does it. I, I think that's a beer and I think he did it. And he smashes the can. And this goes to show the comedy. And Richard Dreyfus has a little bitty cup, little bitty plastic cup. And he drinks it back and then he crushes it. They're always in competition. I love it. Um, so Brody's chumming, which means uh, blood and fish guts and whatever in a bucket going off. The smell is apparently bad. He is pouring Old Spice on a handkerchief and putting it on his nose. I wrote that down. What, that, that must have been like a real thing. Chumming? No, the Old, old spice? spice. Really? Well, I, is that what a, why it exists? Well, I wondered, what is the backstory there with Old Spice? Is there a nautical thing it, on Old Spice? It seems like Old Spice did used to have a nautical it thing. It does have a ship on it. And he was using it to not only maybe use it for cologne, but he was using it as a way to not smell the crap. And I thought, huh, I wonder if that was a thing because that was maybe on the boat. There's also a moment where Brody pulls the wrong thing on a rope and the compressed air, we're warned by Hooper, could blow up. Um, so we're foreshadowing the air yet again. I did have a quick note that said, Quint is dad, Hooper is mom, and Brody is the child. And that's the dynamic set up here. Very much that, like... This is Quint's boat. Hooper's kind of the mom who he lets steer, you know, but doesn't like everything she does. And the way he treats the chief is very much like his kid. He says, hey, next time you just come to me, ask me, and I'll show you which rope to pull. He has kid gloves and a real liking for Brody. I also think it's it's a, it's a shot to Richard Dreyfuss's character, like saying, I, I'll take care of you, Brody. Don't pay any attention to him. Like It's mom and dad are fighting. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> yeah. right, yeah. Um, there's, a, there's a weird family dynamic between these three grown men on this boat. Um, so then we have uh, the line starts to be pulled, and there's a masterful directed and acted uh, adjustment to this line that's just being pulled a little where Quint you see the line and then Quint looks at it and holds his breath almost tick 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 yeah yeah and then slowly he starts to lock himself into his chair put the straps on put the straps on put his feet on this board um and you you can tell he is getting ready for combat um and Hooper is skeptical that this is actually the shark until the line comes up and it's been bit through. Right. And he still he still says, and I think Robert Shaw even says something about you know not being able to admit that you're wrong. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Because, you know, all the college and everything that you do, you know, not being able to admit that this is because of this is an actual shark. He still Richard Dreyfus just still doesn't believe, even at that point, that, that it was the shark. Yeah. Um, later, we're chumming around part two. Brody is chumming and saying, yeah, why don't you come shovel some of this shit? And as he puts his uh, chum dispenser uh, into the water, the shark pops up. Drink, drink, drink your Narragansett. We've seen the shark for the second time. I can go slower, Ed. Come on down and chum some of this shit. 
college. He improvs that line. Which we also missed the earlier uh, famous line that has actually a production company uh, of, that's one bad hat, Harry. That's or, one bad hat, Harry? <laughs> that's a production company? Yeah, but I think it was Brian Singer, so. Ooh. ooh. Yeah. Anyway, um, so then this is my favorite, I don't know why, shot of the entire film. The harp is going and we're experiencing the wonder of seeing the shark for the first time tail to tip past the boat the strings are soaring it is that discover the world like seeing this is what we're up against and the music that matches it every time i see it i get chills and it's the harp the harp will do that to you man there's something about the harp just arpeggiating that just feels like wonder um Anyway, uh, get to my favorite scene. Getting there, getting there. Uh, and then we're at barrel one. Um, this the barrels are really smart. Again, like the dock, this is how we don't show the shark, but show the shark. So we got one barrel in him. Uh, the music is very seafaring. Um, then we get to the evening, and this is the USS Indianapolis scene. Before we get to that, though is the scar scene, which is allegedly uh, one of the gayest scenes in the film. Uh, <laughs> Quint and Hooper, mom and dad, start getting frisky after a few Narragansetts and um, showing each other scars and removing more pieces of clothing and pulling up their, I'll drink to your leg, I'll drink to your leg, and their legs are on top of each other and, there. And it's the first time that these two characters have gotten along have gotten along and they start to you know realize they're kind of alike in a lot of ways it could be a porn scene though it's like a porn setup it, i'm just saying have you ever done that to any with anyone do you have scars have you like like hey i have this scar i've done that but it's not been about scars <laughs> um, but brody in the the scar scene <coughs> like checks his appendix scar yeah, and then like, decides against yeah, it. Yeah, like, I'm not gonna tell him about that. It's, but he thinks like I want to get on. No, yeah, well, there's the, like the fa there's famous scenes, and I don't know if it was done before Jaws or not. I don't know. Maybe in the Discord, let us know if it has. But there's a Lethal Weapon three has a scene where Renee, uh, I can't think of her name now, but my, uh, Mel Gibson and. I know the actress you're talking about, Renee, and she was the shit. She, she was, was Russo. Rene Russo, yeah. uh, where they do a whole showing of each other's scars leading into sex kind of thing. I'm wondering if Richard Donner, the director of Lethal Weapon 3, realized that there was a sexual uh, component to the Jaws scene and took it to that place. Just a couple guys goofing, showing yeah. scars. Well, there's a natural masterclass here in sociology where strangers kind of go into a project together fighting a common enemy and they all size up how they are all going to rank in their strengths in their weaknesses and who's going to be the leader in this department and who's going to be the weakest in this department and then eventually getting to a moment where they all trust one another with some of their most private things well it wasn't even the scene with the barrel with richard dreyfus like He's like, don't wait on me. I, I got this. I, I will. I, I, I'll, I'll tie it off. I, I, I got it. You don't have to worry about it, kind of thing. And he was, you know, still feeling, I would say, inadequate to Robert Shaw, trying to stand up for who he is. And those, the scene in the, in the, in the bottom of the of the boat, is really like, 
let's just get past this. We have we have this common enemy, enemy as you said, and we're trying to, you know, do this together. Yeah. But the scars then lead to what's that? And it's a tattoo he had removed, and it was the USS Indianapolis. Right. Which then is this one of the best monologues in oh, film? Oh, it's fucking amazing. Where it's a true story of the 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 people on the USS Indianapolis who had just dropped the Hiroshima Hiroshima bomb. Yeah. Um, and this funny thing about this story or this this monologue is Steven Spielberg was stuck. He didn't know what we what they needed for this. So he explained. He calls up John Milius, his friend, fellow director, fellow USC grad. And says, "I need this is what's happening. I need I need a story here. What 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 do you have for me?" And John Milius says, "Okay," and he he writes this thing, calls him back, and says, "This this is what I got," and gives it to Steven Spielberg. I mean, brilliant. I mean, done in 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 minutes. Probably wrote it down over the phone. Absolutely, yeah. and he gives it to Steven Spielberg, and then Steven Spielberg gives it to Robert Shaw, and then Robert Shaw <laughs> just fucking. Delivers in a he was probably drunk no, off his ass. Here's the bigger story. So he said, I've got to be drunk for this, Stephen. We're gonna do this. He got uncomfortably drunk and they did not have anything to salvage out of the takes. And he blacked out. And the next morning he was mortified and was like, What happened? What did I do? And he's like, Well, we couldn't use anything. And he's like, I've got to do it right now. And he was still probably drunk from the night before, but he nailed it that next morning um and it it, it it he thought i've got to be drunk to do this but actually that was the worst and thought. then and it, why was that moment so so poignant yeah well i think because it really describes the entire motivation why he hates sharks yeah character period mm-hmm. he hates sharks all of his his thing that you you know his jaws that he collects his jaws everywhere. He, he 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 hunts sharks because all of because his he friends was were killed by sharks in the water because the U.S. Indianapolis went down and he was saved. And that's a true story. And that's a true story. And so I think that's the motivation of like oh now we understand this humanity of this character who is kind of like a you know. A, comedic to a certain degree not really trusting him even though you've got this like masculine attraction to him but I think it really gives you his character of why he does what he does and why he becomes so fucking obsessed but don't you think with that, Bruce don't you think there's a monologue in so many people that we misunderstand that you never hear the monologue and then you hear the monologue and you go Oh, oh, I now understand, I understand everything why about you. you are the way you are. Absolutely, and that's 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 the monologue. That's why it exists. Absolutely. And then they start singing, "Show me the way to go home." I'm tired and I wanna go to bed. He takes it up the other. I had a little drink about an hour ago. The shark then starts pounding along to the beat. Yep. Um, boom, boom, and the boat starts taking on water. The power goes out in a series of shots that, to me, is reminiscent of when the power goes out in Night of the Living Dead. It is head turn, power out. Head turn, turn, power power out. Right, right. It's uh, an homage, I think, anyway. um, The power's out, and... It goes into the climax of the film. The killing of... No, 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 we're not there yet. We're not there yet. They uh, go up above, and uh, there's two shooting stars. The barrels are gone. Right. 
Then we're at the next morning. They're doing repairs on the boat. Barrel one comes up. Uh, they get the boat hooked. The shark pops up. Um, Brady tries. To, this is really disturbing. Brady uh, Brody tries to call for help, and Quint destroys the CB. Um, right, which is again goes to the obsession that he has with killing this. He he has he established. No, he's like I'm killing this shark because this is this is probably a shark that killed one of my friends on the USS Indianapolis. No one else is helping with this. So we get barrel two next, and then barrel three. Um, the orca is taking on water. Three barrels aren't enough. So then he has the idea, I'm going to go towards land. I'm going to draw him in and drown him. Uh, then the boat dies. And he pushes the boat, and he pushes the boat, and he pushes so, the boat. Richard Driver's like, don't push the boat! Don't push it! It can't take it! And it's sinking slowly. <laughs> Hooper's the last chance with his shark cage that was made fun of earlier. Um, he's lowered into the water, and a line that always is pointing to me, I ain't got no spit. You're right, right, because he, he's so fucking nervous. His he's mouth like, has dried up. Yeah, he can't do it. Um, to spit in his goggles to see. Uh, Hooper's in the Water. This was a, a little person in a little cage filmed by Robin Valerie Taylor, um, famous documentary uh, people off First of the coast. First to get sharks, right? Yeah, yeah. They had a documentary that predated this that um, they worked with them, and they got some footage. But anyway... Uh, it gets destroyed. You think he's fucking dead. Well, he swims down. We see him down hiding in the reef. So well, Right, but the but Brody and Quint both think that he's dead. And then... Quint fucking dies, man! Then Quint. This is still disturbing. So, in the script, everyone was going, how the hell are we going to do this? The shark has to jump out of the water and land on the boat, is how it was described. No, he just kind of came up and they said he kind of limp-dicked it into the boat. Which I think works because it's a gigantic creature that's not very uh, well-moving out Outside of water. Of water. Yeah. yeah, totally, yeah. So he kind of, they said he kind of flops down like a limp-dick on the boat, which is true, but then he just starts eating. And the death is, did you find the death at all uh, hard to watch? Him screaming and all of that? I did. Did you? Matt? I didn't. You didn't. You didn't find it to be scary in any way. No, I think at some point, as soon as it started to happen, I already kind of digested. Bad shit was going to happen. <laughs> Pardon the pun. Yeah. I. I. This is why I get. And I did. Screen. And I did not know it was going to happen. Okay. This is why I, every time I watch it, have a hard time because for a minute there. Not even a minute. For a few seconds, you're like, he's kicking around. He's kicking. Maybe he's going to push off. And I know how it ends up. But every time I'm like, uh, just push off on his nose. Don't get into those jaws. Pardon the pun. Uh, and then the second the first bite happens, you're like, well, that's it. Yeah. There's a certain fear in every water movie. I wrote them, some of them down. Castaway, uh, Poseidon Adventure, Titanic, Moby Dick, uh, Open Waters. As soon as you enter a water scenario, the pure uh, ma majesty of the water and the beauty of water combined with the complete horror of water is there the entire time. And for me, as soon as I go into a scenario in the water where there is maybe a, a chance of something, I've already gone 
to the end that if something happens, I already know, okay, that person's going to die. Mm-hmm. And if they don't, it's a good thing. But I've already accepted it like, okay, they're going down. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's almost like a coping mechanism for you. Totally. Yeah. It's it's easier for me just to kind of go, okay, that character's gone. Right. Uh, it's the scream for me. Hit Robert Shaw's scream. Great scream. Oh my god. And the blood in the mouth. Yeah, and you're like, oh fuck, dude, he's really going through it. And then you're like, oh man, now he knows what his friends felt like. Do you know? Like for me, I was like, oh god, like he's feeling. He survived that to he, die the to same die way. To die the same way, absolutely. Yeah. Um, now the little child is all alone. Mom and dad are presumed dead, yeah. and the little child's on a world that is turning on its end, literally. Yeah. And this is when he went to the bathroom. Brody comes uh, up with the oxygen. He looks at the oxygen tanks, and he put them on the. Uh, I'm sorry, no. This goes back to Richard Dreyfus going into the water. He takes one of the oxygen tanks to have to be able to breathe under the water, and then there's a long shot of the other the oxygen, t- the the remaining oxygen tank. You're like, oh, especially if you've seen it before. You're like, oh, that's that's the. There's tank. hope. Yeah, there's hope. He's gonna do that. And Does it, Brody somewhere in the back of his mind remember that photo from the book with him? Ex- I think so. I think so. So, uh, and does he put together? Uh, could explode. Uh, he might right. eat it. They eat anything. I've Richard, seen one eat a rocking exactly. chair. All of a that comes plate. together yeah. right at the end. Um, Great cop. And then uh, they should have been throwing license plates out. <laughs> so Brody is in the down below, and the shark breaks through. That's where he shoves the oxygen tank into his mouth. Then the shark somehow abated, backs off like, "Oh, oxygen tank! I'm going to back out and chew on this for a minute," which is weird. Um, but there is a. I don't think they have taste buds, so I don't think no, it knows what it what's, it's in, what's in its mouth. A really gross detail, though, when it breaks in that time, you can see little flesh strips, strips and ribbons yeah, totally. in the jaws. That was Quint. Yeah. yeah. Um, so then Brody goes up to the crow's nest. The crow's nest is tipping quickly. and um, There is a shot there that the way that they, they do the, the, uh, the further away shot and the boat is tipped in a certain way, and mm-hmm. then it shoots to Brody on it. I was like, that doesn't, to me, geometrically make sense the way that they shot it. It's like that's not where that was. It feels like he's higher. Exactly. But when they show the boat writ large, it looks lower. It's lower, exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I also thought at this moment in the movie, what brilliant. It must be and painstaking, staking uh, work. It must uh, take to realize when you are in a studio and you get to control all of your lights, it's great. But filming out on the water. But when you're outside on the water and you're dealing with cloud cover and the sun, storms, storms, and then different times of day, the sky looks different. And trying to, I kept thinking, oh my God, how are they trying to capture this so it looks like it's all happening in real time when it wasn't captured in real time, but it had to make it look like it must have been. Uh, Again, editing is, is, is the, the movie's savior. Do the you think they the ever filtered? Do, they, do you think they ever filtered certain lenses to make sh- to, to create the same look? Because they couldn't use. I don't think so. Not back then. I mean, they could have used different lenses, but I think back then they probably would have had to wait till the exact same time. Well, so everything we saw shoot. was a real natural shot. Mm-hmm. 
They weren't like, t they couldn't take like a, a really bright day and make it darker or a really darker day and make it lighter. I mean, maybe. I, I, I don't know, but I don't think so. That's why the, what is, what's the, the name of the time of day in film back in the day? It was, uh, uh, I can't think of the name, what they used to call it, but like the perfect time to shoot when the light was a certain way. Like you couldn't fake that. You had to wait until that time Which again. Which is why call times were like 5 a.m., 4 a.m., whatever. Well, whatever it so is. So people could be ready for the light to be in that, exactly, that right place. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So I would think so. I mean, I, again, I don't know. And this Again, speculation. But I don't know. I, I think Steven Spielberg understands story and character when he's making a film, no matter if he wrote it or if he didn't write it. He didn't write this one. That he knows what he needs... And even if he gets the minimalist of what he needs, editing is going to fix whatever it is. Well, he had the famous editor, Verna Fields. Verna Fields, yeah. Who edited millions of films, it seems. Very famous editor. I will say, speaking to what you just said about this was a nightmare to shoot, like, outside. When Richard Dreyfuss read the script, he was like, this would be a great movie to watch, but a hell of a movie to make. And I don't want to do it. You know what's missing from Jaws, and maybe that we have that. Maybe we have this. I would love to watch Jaws again with Steven Spielberg commenting the entire. He has not done commentary. He's never the done entire a commentary. time, and, and not bad mouthing himself, but talking about the the masterclass of like, well, this is what we had, and this is what we had to do, and the budget, and the costumes, the money. And I'm praying and hoping. Steven Spielberg, if you're listening to this... That he already's done this. And no, in your later life, you decide, as opposed to making another film because you're getting too old, that you decide to sit down and do commentaries for all of your movies. And you're like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, close out my career with re-releases of all my films and there will be a commentary on them. I'm going to close out the narrative on this by saying that this is the famous money shot. So the shark is approaching uh, Brody on the crow's nest that's sinking um, there's several shots that are misses we see the bullets going through water which is always something I love seeing bullets going through water I don't know why it's just cool um, and then he says the quintessential Hollywood line smile you son of a bitch which to me gave birth to make my day although that was probably early no it was later no, it was later or um the terminators line sure i'll be back i'll be back like it was like a boom and then explosion right well this did create blockbusters yeah. there was not such a thing prior to this film like this created well, the existence psycho no no headlines it, around the it block. did but but this was the film that made studios realize... Summer blockbuster. Yeah, and make it huge. I mean, it was, it was the... It made the most money of any film up to that point. Yeah, and, and I will say that after the shark explodes, there's almost a melancholic music of, like, this amazingly large... Majestic. Majestic killing machine. Creature, has, yeah. And you see it's the clouds of blood underwater and the fin come through the clouds of almost sad it's almost sad yeah. and, and then Dreyfus comes up and he's like quit <laughs> no no and then they start paddling back and there's the famous uh, um, I used to be afraid of the water and Dreyfus says I can't imagine why <laughs> and then end or fin 
Yeah, and I, yeah, and I love the, which was is is a callback to uh, you know the French New Wave, of course, but uh, the the credits and seeing them going back, continue paddling, continually yeah. paddling back to the shore. You wanted to make sure that they made it to the shore, yeah. okay? Absolutely, you know, because the in the wake of don't fade the, to black, all the blood in that water. I was like, how many more sharks? Well, come? and don't forget, there was a tiger shark shark that they caught so there might be something else wouldn't that be like the worst what did ending? they use in the water to create blood that was saturated enough that immediately the water was, was red yeah i don't know paint? i don't either i uh, it looked like temper paint to me but i'm wondering if it was actual guts of something i don't know i haven't gotten that far in the book i would yet. hope that it were that it was only for the ecosystem. Well, Stephen had said that maybe in, in the seventies, a water-based paint. Maybe they really didn't have a you know a whole lot they of weren't. hard regulations. No, so it was not. Like, well, we're just going to use a bunch of dye from the. Yeah, yeah. I'm hoping it was a water-based paint, but yeah. I'm reading right now the Jaws log by Carl Gottlieb, who, who is one uh, of the writers. Meadows. Also one of the writers on the film, but also the uh, one of the reporters. Meadows. Meadows. Yeah. And it's I can't recommend the book enough. Um, there's also in uh, Time a Life, magazine, yeah. there's a magazine out on newsstands right now um, that is all about Jaws. I would recommend them both. Um, we uh, final things I'm going to say. I just want to say that, and this doesn't have to be a long thing. Have you ever been in the ocean? No, and maybe no. <laughs> and maybe just been out just a bit too far and realized it and had that moment i was i was on a raft i think we were in ocean city and i had this raft and i was just like i don't know this was like 21 or 22 year old me um i guess i don't know why i had forgotten about the movie jaws in that instant but i was on this raft and i felt like Oh my god, this is heaven, this is so nice. And I was laying on it like the Kittner boy. And uh, and then I realized, God, that shore looks really far away. And at that moment, I was like, I'm like past the sandbar. I'm really out here. I've got to start paddling. And I did. And it felt like it took forever because you're working against the waves. Absolutely. And then this panic rat started chewing around my guts of like, oh my god what's underneath me what's in the water have you all had a similar like ocean experience where you're like oh so you're hooper i'm quint and mine was i was in panama city uh for a spring break i think it was my senior year and we'd all been out at the beach all day but it started to it it looked like this a storm was coming in and so the ocean started to really get waves and I don't know why we were young. We thought we could live forever. And me and my friend Corey, and I think Jody was there as well, Jody Renard. And we all went out in this like beginning storm, coming in with these fucking huge waves. And we just kept going out. We just kept going out. And I was like, guys, we should probably turn around and go back. Like, I, I'm getting a little bit scared. It was fun. Like, we were all like, oh, this is great. This is wonderful. But as further we got out, I was like, I, I don't think I'm going to be able to. We're being sucked out I don't think I'm going to be able to come back. Right. And I got scared. And, like, I was, I've never physically experienced 
what you see in Twister or uh, A Perfect Storm, like movies where you see all these huge uh, natural things happening. I've never experienced it in person except for that moment, and it was fucking terrifying. I thought it was horrific. I would never do it again. I actually, my senior year of high school, was at the senior beach trip and I got caught in a riptide that carried me miles away from where I was supposed to. Miles? Miles. Because when I finally got out, I probably walked for maybe two and a half hours to get back. So in, in my opinion, it was probably like two miles. So what's a riptide? A riptide is when the ocean kind of starts taking you um, at an angle out. You get caught in this rhythm. And I was, I think the only way that you're supposed to get out of it is if you're supposed to like swim at an angle against it, but not with it. And I was trying to go with, with it. it. Um, and I got sucked out. And I remember no, feeling the power of the ocean would not let me get back to shore. And it sucked me out. Um, I don't remember. This? It was in Ocean City, Maryland. And I don't remember how I really got out of it. All I remember, it was like um, maybe an hour of complete terror while all my friends, I just saw them leaving I, my, uh, leaving my, my view because they were at the beach and I just was being sucked out, sucked out, sucked out, sucked out. And finally, when I came to, I was, you know... You, you were knocked out? No, but when I finally came to, to the shore... Oh. <laughs> um, so like I was way down. I was so far down. I just were walked. you ever scared that you weren't going to be able to stay above the water? Mm -hmm. That's what my fear was yeah. because it kept getting bigger and bigger with all these waves. And I was like, I can't stay. I don't have the strength to stay above it. Like we have to go back. It's such a like visceral, natural feeling of like nature is going to take me right now. Yeah, and what's crazy is. The amount of emotion that the ocean creates for all of us, whether it be fear or hope Wonder. or whatever, whatever it is, all of that is the largest percentage of our body. Water. And our and our earth. And our earth. Right. I but but at any time in any of these stories were you also thinking about sharks beneath the water? Oh totally. I was thinking about jellyfish. I heard yeah. so many stories about jellyfish, about people being Nettles stung. for me also. I have never been in the water thinking that I'm alone. Yeah. Well, <laughs> never. From the, from, the, from the sand crabs underneath your feet, which is the grossest fucking thing. Or the little fucking fish that eat your, like, you know, that, like, nip on you. You're like, yeah. what's, what's on me? Yeah. 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 But there's also a weird moment. When you get in the water, because you before birth are in nothing but water. Water. Yeah. I think it's ambiotic fluid, but same thing. I think it's it's <laughs> water mixed with vodka. It's salt water. <laughs> it's salt water. <laughs> All right, y'all. Well, we well, look, real quick. Yeah. Just, last thoughts on Jaws. See it. <laughs> <laughs> um, who hasn't? Um, I'm just hoping that the movie has a future because. <laughs> 
I hope it has legs. Yeah, I hope it has legs. <laughs> um, no, I, th- I think it's a quintessential American it's, classic. It's one of your favorite films of all time. I watch it every year on the 4th of July. Because your birthday's on July 5th. It is, and the beaches are going to be open for the 4th, no matter what, in the film. Um, it's I've got a poster, I've got books, I've got a shirt. I love the film. You've got a Pugs shirt that looks like Jaws. Thanks to you, yeah, from yeah. Vietnam. Yep. Um, I, I think that it's... This also came out around like a year before the centennial of America. 1770, I'm sorry, 1976, yeah. Yeah, so like there's something so American about this film to me, even though shark attacks happen throughout the world. It's just like Americana Fourth of July. Uh, the poster is red, white, and blue. Um, and and it's, it's just required summer viewing you can watch this film not just in the summer you can watch it all year long clearly you're listening now in october viewers but uh jaws was just back in theaters prior in a 3d setting uh, that ryan's sister went to see yeah what she said was amazing 3d and she had never seen it before and Mm -hmm. she really loved it so like she saw think about this guys she saw jaws for the first for the first time in the movie theater in 3D. in 3D. We've never seen it in 3D. No, I've never seen it in the theater. I've never seen it in the theater either. I saw it at the drive-in, but I've never seen it in the theater. No. Um, I want to say this. I love Jaws. I think it's fucking a great film. I think that you can talk about every character and everything forever. Um, and we have. And I think you're right. Quintessential uh, American viewing. However, in a 2022 viewing lens... And this happens a lot with Spielberg films. There is not a minority. There's no diversity. No. In 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 view, and I really felt it this this watch. I was like, we're watching a lot of white people doing stupid white people shit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know. We're in a weird place right now. Like I, I I love the movie, but I also understand that if someone doesn't because of that reason, I get that as well. Um, but anyway, I, I, I love it. I watch it all the time. But it, it's it's interesting to look at it in a lens of now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, you know what? I'm thinking about that. I didn't realize that until you brought it up. And now I'm thinking about that. But I will now watch Jaws in a different way, seeing the through composed lens of the entire thing. Because now I realize that maybe what I was seeing in Act 1, as we call it, um, was purposeful in creating a sort of balance of what they were trying to create um, of the film. It Um, also... Because, once again, when I think about Jaws, I really only think about the... Act 3. Act 3 part. I also wonder, and I'm not trying to open up a new vein here, but... I also wonder if Act One is purposefully quirky, purposely funny to lull you into. Absolutely, is this a B movie? Is this a ridiculous B movie? And then you get fucking like well, taken think, under. I think it goes the into film. the way that Matt watched the film, and this is why I like watching films with people who have not seen a movie that I have seen because mm. it makes me view it in a different way. So he watches the film. He starts to have the same. Uh, uh, tract of emotion and what's going on as the characters in the film do. You don't really start to under understand the 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 uh, 
the severity of what's happening until he opens that book. Well, I, 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 I journeyed along as a townsperson right. who was not taking it serious. Right. And being like, no, we have to open the beaches. Right. We can't close the beaches. <laughs> My hot dog stand has to open. <laughs> right. The woman with the glasses. Are you going to close the beaches? I love her. All right, we're going to take another quick break, and then we'll be right back with David Benoit. So we will be right back. How are you, David? I'm doing really well. How are you doing? Oh, you know, we're just trying to dry out from all this excess hurricane rain. We've been. And did you just open a show? We are about to um, yeah, this coming weekend, and and you're in the the Fiddler on the Roof in Chicago, I, uh, is that right? Yep, we close Friday. I it looks spectacular. Are you it, having a great time? It yeah, it's it's a huge production. There's like a hundred people on stage, sixty five people in the orchestra. It's nuts. It's literally a village. <laughs> it's crazy. How how has like the that been going with COVID and everything? Um, we've had a couple of cases. Uh, there were two during rehearsals, and then we've had some chorus members with it, but we test before every performance, and knock on wood, none of us, for the most part, very few of the speaking, singing cast has gotten it. That's incredible. Well, Yeah, it, it's shocking. It, it's shocking. David, I'm sitting here with my husband and co-host, Matt Connor. Hey, yeah. hey, David. Hi, Matt. How are you? Good. I haven't seen you since your brilliance in the adding machine. Oh my goodness, so long ago. Oh boy. 2009. Isn't that wild? It's such an, inc- an incredible show. Is it done a lot? No. It's not. The, the subject matter is difficult. The musicality is difficult. So it's not done a lot, which is a shame. It feels I'm like everything really... now is difficult. <laughs> yeah, this is very true. Oh boy. Speak, speaking of di- difficult material, um, we are, this episode is on Jaws and mm-hmm. we. I have been reading the Jaws log by Carl Gottlieb. Uh huh. Um, and you are in. Well, you finished a production of a musical called Bruce that is about the making of Jaws. Yes. Isn't and I cool? know that you can only kind of speak to it in limited terms, but can you just kind of give us an overview of like how <laughs> Matthew and I write some difficult yep. s- subject material, but wh- what's the window into the evening? Is it about the writers trying to figure out how to write the show? They, uh, that's part of it, definitely. It was about, ultimately it was about Steven Spielberg's journey and trying to get this beast up and trying to tame the beast that was the shark that would not work. And it's really about the backstory. It's definitely, I mean, you see all, uh, a lot of the the principal characters, you see Roy Scheider, you see uh, Shaw, you see Ricky Dreyfus. Um, but you get to learn about Verna Fields and Bob Maddie and Joe Alps and Carl Gottlieb, the people behind the scenes and all the obstacles that they uh, encountered in trying to get this movie going and, and how he had to resort to uh, the brilliance, which was Jaws ultimately was not showing the shark because of my character. He couldn't get the shark to work. <laughs> he was he was responsible for the pneumatics of the, of the shark and it just wouldn't work in the salt water because usually those those types of effects were done in freshwater tanks. Wait, that was who did you play? I played Bob Maddie, the the man who did the the insides of the jaws. He made he made the animatronics work. Right, right. Or not work. (laughs) And there was a whole thing about it worked in fresh water, but once they got it in salt water, salt water just like destroys everything. Destroyed it, and it literally would destroy it immediately, and then they'd have to 
shelve it for two more weeks and film everything that they could film. And then he had to film basically the way Hitchcock would with you not seeing the, the villain of the piece or not seeing the unknown became more powerful than actual the actual shots of the shark and our imaginations filled in the rest along with the score. And that, that ultimately was responsible for the brilliance of the film. He just, he did it on the fly and, and, and it created brilliance. Him and Verna Fields doing the editing created the, what you thought was a 25 foot great white shark. When most of the time, I think there's maybe five minutes of footage, if that, of the shark. So I'm not really a Jaws um, expert in the film industry. I was raised in the church. <laughs> <laughs> and the church doesn't believe in the sharks. The church is not believe in sharks. But so walk me through this for people who don't who've only seen the film but don't know all this stuff. So if they built like stuff for the movie that looked like a shark, they would then maybe have to then spend more money to either fix or make it all over again because it just kept getting ruined. Yes, the, uh, the the outside of the shark, they built four sharks, I believe. There was a, one that traveled right to left because the other side of it would be open so you, with all the interior uh, mechanics of the shark. One that sw swam left to right, one full shark that was on a crane that, that sat at the bottom of the, the ocean floor, or the bay, rather. And then there was the head that they blow up at the end. Mm. So there were four, but... And even though Bob Matty decided on pneumatics as opposed to hydraulics, he didn't want hydraulics because he didn't want oil spills, et cetera, in, in, in the water, in the, in, the, in the salt water in the ocean. So they relied on uh, air, compressed air, but there were still electronics and parts of the shark that would that would just fizzle out immediately. The, the, the cor corrosion, electrolysis, it would happen almost immediately with the salt water. So they, they, he had to keep on repairing it. And then he only had like two and a half, three months to prepare everything. And no studio would take, no uh, prop shop or a special effects shop would take this on because they all said they needed at least a year and a half to create this. And he did it in three months. So he too was fixing and building on the fly. If he had the proper amount of time, it probably would have been done like that. But the movie wouldn't have been what it is because you would have seen more of the shark and it. And our imaginations and primal fears wouldn't have been tapped into as much not seeing the shark as much do, do you have do they have to shy away from homages or recreating anything from the film on stage that feels like it's an infringement of copyright or anything absolutely 100 percent. to the so point where there's a whole scene about quint's indianapolis speech where he's basically doing the monologue in um in in silhouette and basically miming it um, and they sing about him how he was a master at ease but not a master at work that once the cameras rolled he, his brilliance would take over like certain moments are spoken of but you cannot you can't use the script you can't use the theme we uh we couldn't even use the title i mean we could use the title but like Jaws was very rarely said. Like I sang a song about the building of the shark where I spoke of the Jaws, how the Jaws would work, etc. But it, yeah, it was, and this, Carl Gottlieb and Joe Alves were part of the, part of the, this piece. But um, yeah, copyright issues, they had to stay away from it, from using. Exactly. So none of the music, of course, can be used. No, none of the theme, no. Which, of course, was half the genius of oh, watching yeah, yeah. the film. Now, some of the chord progression can be found here and there. But uh, it, it it had its own tone and style, the piece. I mean, it was, 
I actually I think the score is actually pretty good. It's pretty it's pretty great. And Rob and Rob Taylor and uh, Richard Oberacker wrote uh, Richard wrote some beautiful music. So if um, anyone's listening, and because I was learning along the way, because Stephen knows a lot more than me, because I think I'm really just an emotional soul. Does, does that mean you can't learn? No, it just means I feel. Okay. <laughs> I feel. Um, Bruce is the title of the show. Yes. And Bruce, was was Bruce ever mentioned in the film? No, no. That was the backstage uh, name that... Uh, they gave the shark uh, it, it, when Bob and Joe Alves brought Steven Spielberg into the, uh, the shop uh, to see the actual shark when it arrived in Martha's Vineyard, they said, what's his name? And it was, it basically, it wasn't even the shark yet. It was just the insides. And he said, Bruce, call him Bruce. And, <laughs> and Bruce is, yeah. After my lawyer, Bruce, it's <laughs> like, all right, his name is Bruce. Cause he was a shark. <laughs> And, and, and Disney uh, went along with that, the Finding Nemo, the shark's name became Bruce. It was a little inside, you know, little celebration of the Jaws movie. Um, the the great Verna Fields, one of the best editors in film history. Brilliant, right? That nobody knows who she is, but she is, I think, almost solely responsible for some of the most brilliant films. Um, oh, absolutely, and definitely the success of Jaws. I mean, that was her. That was her doing. She made that movie. What yeah. Who was she? She was the editor. Film editor. Ah, oh, gosh, what kind of job is that? Right. And as and, and as a female in that industry, you know, in the late 60s, early 70s to mid 70s, I mean, she was so revered and so respected. So she really was quite unbelievable at what she did. She really was brilliant. She made that movie. It is what it is because of her. Um. And you're a fan of the film yourself, right? I am. I mean, I'm not, I wouldn't. Uh, yeah, I'm a crazy fan, but I probably don't have, know all the trivia. But I know a lot of it. I mean, or, I, I've seen it countless times. I Kinda watch it. It's it's in the on the TV every Fourth um, of July for me. Oh, of course, right? Of course, it must. It, it feels like the summer kickoff. I don't know. Yeah, I and, and if it's ever on, I, I have OCD about it, I guess, because if I'm channel surfing and there's Jaws, that's it. I have to stop and I have to finish the movie, regardless of where it is in the film. And that there's two films like that, The Perfect Storm. They both have to do with Massachusetts, too. The Perfect Storm and Jaws. If I fall upon them, I have to finish them. Yeah, I um, I keep trying to persuade my husband that like maybe for my next big birthday, maybe my 45th next year to just, you know, rent a pool and a projection screen. And so we can all do that, like sit on the inner tubes and watch Jaws. Right. I don't think I could do it. I mean, in a pool I could, but even as a kid, I had problems going in the pool at night. Like I yeah. it really wrecked me and I would not go into the water above the knee. Like I coined a phrase that I mean, makes no sense whatsoever. That's like shark attacks can happen in six inches of water. You can drown in a thimble. Like I became so terrified of the ocean <laughs> yeah. and or water at night. It was crazy. Or a lake. Someone starts going dum 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 dum. I'm like Ray. I'd scream at my brother. Cut it out, ma. Because it really it did a tune on me. I'm still afraid of the ocean. <laughs> I I don't go in. I don't go. No, in. I can do it with three zimas. <laughs> <laughs> Zima, do they delicious, still make Zima? I don't know. Delicious small Three pepper. Zimas used to do the trick. Oh my God, how funny. <laughs> I, see, I can't even stand to be barefoot and walk in and feel those little like sand crabs under your feet. Can I tell you something? I was on Cape Cod and I was in probably mid-shin and there was a little crab on my foot. And I kid you not, I was paralyzed in fear. And all I had to do was kick it off my foot. But I literally was paralyzed. So imagine if I saw a shark, even a baby shark. I had a small crab on my foot and I couldn't move. So, <laughs> I, yeah, it's not cute. Me in the ocean. It's, 
not friends. <laughs> in in the show, Bruce, is there any elements of blood on stage? Um, ironically, no, there really isn't. Huh. No, there's not. You don't, you don't even see the shark. Because we had a discussion when we watched the film here recently that I wonder what they used in the water to keep it so uh, such a concentrated red that it wouldn't, you know, was it something brown or I, I don't was it paint? I don't uh, think they did anything that would hurt the ocean. They yeah, I think I think it was blood. Yeah, maybe die. I, I don't think it was anything more than that. And ironically, that's the only pretty much the only time you see the color red is the blood in the movie. He purposely did not have red pretty much anywhere in the film. Was there any editing to the, the story of creating the actual story of Jaws? Or was it always sort of the plot that we see? No, no, it changed. It changed a few, a few times it just to accommodate. Uh, well, the Australian footage that they had of the, the little person in the cage. Um, the shark broke the, the live footage they have of the great white that Verna Fields brilliantly uh, edited into the film. Uh, the cage was empty and broke off and sunk to the bottom of the ocean because the shark got caught in it. It was a miniature cage with a little person inside to look life-sized. It, so it looked like it was a 25-foot great white shark. But uh, the shark got entangled into the cage, demolished the cage, and the cage sunk to the ocean floor. Well, Hooper was supposed to die in the movie. Well, they rewrote the movie <laughs> so he, he lived. And so the, the last uh, the last images of uh, Brody and uh, Hooper swimming to shore, but in the book, he died. He was eaten by the shark. But in the book, only. he also had an affair with Brody's wife. Yes, yes. And he was supposed to be this hot stud, this well, long surfer stud, and he was... Then, Spielberg wanted Dreyfus. He, he's like, what biologists, what marine biologists do you know? They're all bookish and they're not, they're not these studs. Well, and, and I'm, it's, it's interesting if you go back, because, you know, the, the film, even as they were doing, it was very much a work in progress. It took mm -hmm. forever oh, because yes. of, you know, the, either the, a boat would come in on the horizon oh, and then right. they could shoot for three hours um, or, or weather factors, or, you know, the very famous phrase, the shark isn't working. Exactly. Um, yep. That would be heard over the PA. And weren't they drunk? Oh, a lot of the time. A lot of the time, yeah. Well, Robert Shaw certainly was. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, Ooh, boy. But, but the, uh, where was I going? Oh, yeah, the, the scene, you can tell, a lot of things were cut, like, as we were working on it. The actors were, you know, Spielberg said he's never had a experience where the actors had so much more feedback into their own characters. Well, because, because of all their downtime, yeah. Because of all Yeah, the everything was taking so long. But if if you watch that scene where Hooper brings over the wine, there is a little kind of tingly connection between the wife and Hooper. Uh -huh. And it, it makes me wonder if that scene was uh, edited down a little or- <laughs> I think it was more an homage to the book, but not, I. I he he eliminated that storyline from the get-go. He just that, that was Carl Gottlieb's contribution when they brought him on. They, he was like, get rid of the love affair. It, it, it's too many stories going on, too many. Just focus on this adventure movie of three men trying to kill the beast. It's basically Moby Dick. I wanted to be invited to the party that they had on the boat that almost turned into a truth or dare evening. Oh, right, right, right. They're I said it's the gayest scene. It's very funny. Oh, my God. So funny. But then I, I think it's wild that um, 
Robert Shaw got so obliterated, he got so drunk because he was so method that uh, that he to do the Indianapolis speech, which which you know everyone had a go at, at writing, and he basically edited it himself. And he, what you see in the screen is what he edited, but he did the first day of shooting completely wasted like they couldn't use a lot of it they did use some of it you can tell from back and forth they go from the next morning he i I guess he wrote that morning or that night did i completely embarrass myself on set and is any of it usable and they said they're going to reshoot i guess he did it like in one or two takes and they just edited some of day one where he was obliterated and then day two when he was so he was sober but playing drunk because he's a very good actor but you can see there are scenes from the first day where his eyes are really wet and glistening because he was really really drunk and they Vernon Fields seamlessly just edits the two together and it's beautiful but you can actually see you can actually see when he was wasted so there's a point to that I forget what it was <laughs> no uh, I was just it's it's interesting how the scene goes kind of wildly comic and one of my favorite parts about it is when uh Roy Scheider as Brody uh when they're comparing scars kind of lifts up and oh, looks right. at his lifts appendix. his shirt to look at his appendix <laughs> scar and decides it's it's not a thing. It's so funny. It's well, such also, a brilliant Gottlieb, understated moment. Absolutely. And that that's that was all their contributions. That's where Carl Gottlieb and um Steven Spielberg shared a little cabin. And Verna Fields would play Mama Bear and she would cook for them and they would all meet and have dinner and tons of wine because there's not much more to shoot. So they just discuss the script and and discuss how they could personalize this more. And and they said they're not heroes, they're regular guys. And that's when they came up with, you know, uh, Brody was afraid of the water and 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 the neuroses of Hooper. And and it, they 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 really created and like you like you said Stephen, like much of these characters became who they are much to the contribution of the actors playing them steven spielberg completely trusted them yeah and this came from Carl gottlieb's mouth himself when he came out because we spoke with him and joe alves wow yeah yeah it was, it was pretty special to to hear them discuss this stuff yeah i mean this this book have you read the jaws log oh yeah i got it i got it for my fourth grade birthday oh that my and, the God. Jaws, and the jaws game and the jaws model i was i was a i was a jaws freak I got wow it this book though i can see why everyone calls this like the filmmaking bible oh right 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 yeah it just kind of breaks down departments who does what mm-hmm. etiquette good and bad mm-hmm. um and and it's really a fascinating read, but um, I, I think that uh, it's interesting that the studio, first of all, moved on this property very quickly because the property mm-hmm. of Jaws was, you know, when Peter Benchley had the idea for it, his wife said, "You're crazy," you know, come uh-huh. up with a better idea. And then he wrote the novel, and before the novel even came out, people were talking about it. Of course, all the studios had little. Um, spies in all the different publishing houses mm-hmm. um but when the book came out and becomes this bestseller and it's it's on all these lists and it's selling out and everything of course yeah, the pressure to make the film down. and finish the film while it's still hot becomes yeah. a thing <clears throat> and word had gotten around and plus they had leaked pictures of the shark which devastated spielberg because they kept it so secretive and he was afraid that when people saw photos of the mechanical shark they'd no longer believe that this was a real shark and uh, yeah they were they were under the gun to really get this up and and do it artistically because they took such a risk zanica brown took such a risk with steven because all he had done was uh 
Oh God, what was the truck movie he did? Um, he had done two movies, one for TV and. Uh oh, I hope I didn't lose you. You there? Yeah, I'm here. Okay, because my screensaver just came on. Um, they took a big risk with him, and he he thought he was going to become a Hollywood pariah because it was not going well, and word was getting around. So he made a masterpiece, and the fact that he was snubbed directorially by the Oscars is crazy because that's it's, it, he and Verna. I mean, Verna and he made that a masterpiece. But yeah, everyone wanted that property and Zanuck and Brown jumped on it very big. They're like, this is going to be the big one. And and the musical that we did, the first third is about getting what, what happened to getting the rights, uh, setting everyone up, the meetings with getting Bob Maddie out of retirement because they could get known to do the special effects. Like it's all about the backstory, which is fun because no one knows that stuff. So that right. was the, the fun aspect. And, and the big set, uh, it was because it was 70s, they used basically a model of Hollywood squares and everything was done with LED screens in back of the Hollywood squares. And so it was very fast paced and fast moving, very Hollywood, very speaking to both coasts and lots of lights up, lights down and all these huge boxes. But this set was mammoth and like the shark, it wouldn't work because at the end of the first third of the show, it separates and you see Martha's Vineyard and it's gorgeous. But this thing wouldn't open. Wow. <laughs> it wouldn't open forever. So this the crew named the set piece Bruce because the shark wouldn't work. The set wouldn't work. It was crazy. It was so meta. It was so fun. It's so funny. I laugh the whole time. Um, <laughs> and do you think that the that the musical is is going to have next uh legs to go somewhere else? Um they're they're hoping. I think I think there is definite uh interest in the piece. I think there's very much something there. Um yeah, I do. I do think it has a future. I think I, I, word was they wanted to do a, a workshop of it this fall, in hopes of something in the spring opening, maybe on the anniversary. Is it June twentieth? I believe the anniversary is opening it in New York. I mean, of course, I I don't know if that's reality or not, but um, there's definitely something there. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, this right. was this film is beloved. Um, oh, it's a phenomenon. I mean, the, the, to this day, and it still holds up. It was the it, first blockbuster. It absolutely was the first summer blockbuster. Lines Fox. It was. Uh, it's still. It's interesting how that film has like burnt itself into the American like uh, pop culture. Pop still culture to this psyche. day. Oh my god! And, and and never mind the psyche. Anything to do with the beach? I mean, <laughs> it really it is part part of American culture and psyche. At least this summer. Well, David, thank you for joining us and talking about. Oh the, my gosh! The thank you so happy much. Happy closing. Oh, yes. thank you. Thank Diddler you. Is one of my all-time favorite books. Mine too. I think stories. It's a musical. I love it. It's such a beautiful musical. It's one of my favorites. It really is. Well, have a great closing, and we love you, and we'll talk love to you, you soon. All right, brother. Thank you so much. Take care. All right. Bye. 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 Well, thank you, everyone, for joining us on that Jaws journey. Um, that was a fun journey. Yeah. Uh, and and it also, like, you know, there are parts of Jaws. We think of Jaws as this classic, and it is. There are parts that kind of don't hold up as well anymore. The, the, the fish autopsy being one, and maybe Mrs. Kittner being the other. Um, but 
at any rate, it is an American favorite. It is one of my favorites, and I'm glad that you could join us on this journey. Um, we'll be back with more stuff very soon, uh, more films of the spooky season genre. Um, if you want to learn more about us, visit www.connorsmithmusicals.com. That's kind of with an ER. Uh, please support us on Patreon. The link is in the description. Um, we do have a Discord board where you can discuss anything you want from Season 6, um, and that link will be in this uh, description as well. God, I'm out of practice. It's been a while since we've podcast. Um, well, our head has been... In Sleepy Hollow. In Sleepy Hollow. That's right. Go check out, if you're in Northern Virginia, check out Ichabod, The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. That's running right now till October 30th at Creative Cauldron. That's www.creativecauldron.org for tickets. Um, just getting some wonderful reviews back for the show. The audiences have been great, and the cast is fantastic. So go check that out. Um, all right. I think that is all the news we have for you. So uh, until next time, bye. Bye.